Section 8 of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter 17. London. October 16th, Old Style, 1747. Dear boy, The art of pleasing is a very necessary one to possess, but a very difficult one to acquire. It can hardly be reduced to rules, and your own good sense and observation will teach you more of it than I can. Do as you would be done by is the surest method that I know of pleasing. Observe carefully what pleases you in others, and probably the same thing in you will please others. If you are pleased with the complacence and attention of others to your humors, your tastes, or your weaknesses, depend upon it the same complacence and attention, on your part to theirs, will equally please them. Take the tone of the company that you are in, and do not pretend to give it. Be serious, gay, or even trifling as you find the present humor of the company. This is an attention due from every individual to the majority. Do not tell stories in company. There is nothing more tedious and disagreeable. If by chance you know a very short story, and exceedingly applicable to the present subject of conversation, tell it in as few words as possible, and even then, throw out that you do not love to tell stories, but that the shortness of it tempted you. Of all things, banish egotism out of your conversation, and never think of entertaining people with your own personal concerns, or private affairs. Though they are interesting to you, they are tedious and impertinent to everybody else. Besides that, one cannot keep one's own private affairs too secret. Whatever you think your own excellencies may be, do not affectedly display them in company, nor labor, as many people do, to give that turn to the conversation, which may supply you with an opportunity of exhibiting them. If they are real, they will infallibly be discovered, without your pointing them out yourself, and with much more advantage. Never maintain an argument with heat and clamor, though you think or know yourself to be in the right, but give your opinion modestly and coolly, which is the only way to convince. And if that does not do, try to change the conversation by saying, with good humor, we shall hardly convince one another, nor is it necessary that we should, so let us talk of something else. Remember that there is a local propriety to be observed in all companies, and that what is extremely proper in one company may be, and often is, highly improper in another. The jokes, the bon mots, the little adventures, which may do very well in one company, will seem flat and tedious when related in another. The particular characters, the habits, the cant of one company, may give merit to a word or a gesture, which would have none at all if divested of those accidental circumstances. Here people very commonly err, and fond of something that has entertained them in one company, and in certain circumstances, repeat it with emphasis in another, where it is either insipid, or it may be offensive, by being ill-timed or misplaced. Nay, they will often do it with this silly preamble, I will tell you an excellent thing, or I will tell you the best thing in the world. This raises expectations, which, when absolutely disappointed, make the relator of this excellent thing look, very deservedly, like a fool. If you would particularly gain the affection and friendship of particular people, whether men or women, endeavor to find out the predominant excellency, if they have one, and their prevailing weaknesses, which everybody has, and do justice to the one, and something more than justice to the other. Men have various objects in which they may excel, or at least would be thought to excel, and though they love to hear justice done to them, where they know that they excel, yet they are most and best flattered upon those points where they wish to excel, 
and yet are doubtful whether they do or not. As, for example, Cardinal Richelieu, who was undoubtedly the ablest statesman of his time, or perhaps of any other, had the idle vanity of being thought to be the best poet too. He envied the great Cornille his reputation, and ordered a criticism to be written upon the Cid. Those, therefore, who flattered skilfully, said little to him of his abilities in state affairs, or at least but en passant, and as it might naturally occur. But the incense which they gave him, the smoke of which they knew would turn his head in their favour, was as a bel esprit and a poet. Why? Because he was sure of one excellency, and distrustful as to the other. You will easily discover every man's prevailing vanity, by observing his favourite topic of conversation, for every man talks most of what he has most a mind to be thought to excel in. Touch him but there, and you touch him to the quick. The late Sir Robert Walpole, who was certainly an able man, was little open to flattery upon that head, for he was in no doubt himself about it, but his prevailing weakness was to be thought to have a polite and happy turn to gallantry, of which he had undoubtedly less than any man living. It was his favourite and frequent subject of conversation, which proved, to those who had any penetration, that it was his prevailing weakness, and they applied to it with success. Women have, in general, but one object, which is their beauty, upon which scarce any flattery is too gross for them to swallow. Nature has hardly formed a woman ugly enough to be insensible to flattery upon her person. If her face is so shocking, that she must in some degree be conscious of it, her figure and her air, she trusts, make ample amends for it. If her figure is deformed, her face, she thinks, counterbalances it. If they are both bad, she comforts herself that she has graces, a certain matter, a je ne sais quoi, still more engaging than beauty. This truth is evident from the studied and elaborate dress of the ugliest women in the world. An undoubted, uncontested, conscious beauty is of all women the least sensible to flattery upon that head. She knows that it is her due, and is therefore obliged to nobody for giving it her. She must be flattered upon her understanding, which, though she may possibly not doubt of herself, yet she suspects that men may distrust. Do not mistake me, and think that I mean to recommend to you abject and criminal flattery. No, flatter nobody's vices or crimes. On the contrary, abhor and discourage them. But there is no living in the world without a complacent indulgence for people's weaknesses, and innocent though ridiculous vanities. If a man has a mind to be thought wiser, and a woman handsomer than they really are, their error is a comfortable one to themselves, and an innocent one with regard to other people. And I would rather make them my friends by indulging them in it, than my enemies, by endeavouring, and that to no purpose, to undeceive them. There are little attentions likewise, which are infinitely engaging, and which sensibly affect that degree of pride and self-love, which is inseparable from human nature as they are unquestionable proofs of the regard and consideration which we have for the person to whom we pay them. As, for example, to observe the little habits, the likings, the antipathies, and the tastes of those whom we would gain, and then take care to provide them with the one, and to secure from them the other, giving them genteely to understand that you had observed that they liked such a dish, or such a room, for which reason you had prepared it, or, on the contrary, having observed that they had an aversion to such a dish, a dislike to such a person, etc., you had taken care to avoid presenting them. Such attention to trifles flatters self-love much more than greater things, as it makes people think themselves almost the only objects of your thoughts and care. 
These are some of the arcana necessary for your initiation in the great society of the world. I wish I had known them better at your age. I have paid the price of three and fifty years for them, and shall not grudge it, if you reap the advantage. Adieu. End of section 8. Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.